0: witchy and weird podcast hello witchy and weird i wanted to pop in before we start this episode to just let you know that This was originally created for the patron coven, but since I have changed the tiers and what is offered in the patron coven, there won't be any more exclusive episodes, at least for the foreseeable future. So I just wanted to let you all know that when the episode comes in and I'm saying, hello, patron coven! That's why. Um, I think that this episode is really powerful. And I usually, when I was making the patron coven episodes, I would just, if I had an idea during that time, if I needed to share it, if it fell on the patron coven episode, you know, and how I scheduled things, then I made it for that. But I definitely feel like this topic of anti-capitalism is like way more important. So... Yeah, without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. I, ooh, I feel like I have a podcast voice because I know, I feel like it's a little bit softer. <laughs> but um, I'm really uh, on the ADHD procrastination. It's the last day of the month, but I'm here uh, recording the uh, second patron-exclusive episode. So thank you, patrons, for being here, for being part of the community, for sharing, for com- like contributing. I love it. I'm really excited for this community to grow. Um. So for today, the thing that I wanted to talk about has been something... <laughs> it's definitely been a lesson that I am in true... Amanda fashion, taking way too long, um, being stubborn about it. Um, I mean, obviously, it's the way I'm supposed to be doing it, right? I learn everything the hard way, Uh, but I'm trying to change that. Anyways, so I wanted to talk about removing, like, capitalistic culture, capitalistic programs from your daily practice, from your mind, from your life, from your business, right? And so for me, I... I guess like a little bit of background on why I wanted to talk about this and what I've been going through. Um, I feel like my my soul, my spirit, whenever I ask what my true desire is, it desires freedom. And I think that has always been there, regardless if I found the words for it or not, if I ever asked myself or not. And that's why I feel like I was led to becoming a small business owner, because just for so long. Well, not for so long. I worked in, like, the workforce, um, like, traditional, I guess, workforce for, like, four years before I was like, yeah, I don't. I don't want this. Like, in college, I had different jobs, but it's, like, completely different when you work, like, on college campus, right? And then out of college, I worked at Starbucks for six months. Then I worked at this other cafe for six months. Then I worked at, Um, A Jewish synagogue um, for I think like two years, a little bit more than two years, and then I was laid off because of COVID. And um, before that, like six months before I was laid off, I started my business. And I just always, I don't know, I wanted to have a different kind of lifestyle than what was presented to me. I grew up and my, I don't like calling him my stepdad because he was a huge um, source of grooming and sexual abuse for me but the person my mom married after my dad <laughs> um he worked in construction and then my mom was like a pharmacy tech at like CVS for like she, she when she moved out to California with my dad um she got that job and she stayed there for like over 25 years and so i just saw like the toll that the service industry the customer service industry, like the working blue collar class, like takes on a person and the lack of like livable means, especially living in California that it provides for you. And I just like, I, for one, I never wanted that. I was always an artistic kid. So I was always drawn between like science and art. Cause I really actually do like science. Um, and yeah, I just, I couldn't settle on what I wanted to do. And it just never felt like I wanted to have a traditional like life. I, when I was a kid, I told my mom, like, I don't want to have kids. (laughs) Um, I, I, whenever I picture myself, like buying a house with a like having a wedding, like that stuff doesn't, that's not a priority for me. So yeah, I just feel like this I'm, you know, obviously like I feel like I'm starting to open up to it more to, to listen to that, that pull to be non-traditional, surrounding myself with a lot of other people and creators and business, you know, like amazing business people, um, in like the witchcraft and spirituality realms that show that like, it doesn't have to be traditional. And even in the artistic realms, right. Because I have a product business where I want to be more artistic in that and grow that. Um, and when I first started my business, it was for crocheting, which is like, Completely like creative, like I made like really cool tops and other accessories. It wasn't like beanies and stuff. Um, and yeah, so I think my guides. I was saying these things, but I didn't like. I wasn't aware. And then my guides were like, "Okay, you're getting laid off, so you can focus on your business." They kind of like threw it at me right before I felt ready. Um, and that's why I say like I learned things the hard way, right? Like I I sometimes like miss the step. I, I, I I have hyper individualism from my childhood. So (laughs) I'm just like, I'm going to do everything on my own. And then I have Mars and Virgo. So I'm like, very, like, I get very honed in. I'm like, everything has to be perfect. And like, I miss the big picture. A lot of the time, I miss the message. Um, I'm too stubborn, right? Like my Aries moon is like, no, 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 not bad. I'm going to keep doing what I was doing. (laughs) So I feel like I'm starting to realize and, and, not saying like this is the first time I realized that capitalism has a hold in my life, but I feel like I'm starting to realize that I actually truly want to have that different lifestyle, right? Like my body does not like capitalism. And I feel like most of our bodies don't, right? Like very few people, like capitalism is built for like rich white people, right? Um, Especially men. So I think like now I'm starting to feel that and to be more cognizant of it. Um, but I've always wanted it. I've always felt, you know, that. And the second I started working for myself full-time was when I started to realize how deep it was ingrained in my programming. Because when you exist in a capitalistic structure, a nine-to-five job, it's it works because it, it's uh, your programming is helping you to maintain your job, to get your job, to get paid, right? To have like some kind of structure and stability. Um, but then when you unplug from that and you say, I want to create, that was a big thing that I kept saying, I want to create my own schedule. I don't want to have to get up and clock in at 8 30 every single day. Like I don't like that. Not everybody is meant to wake up early. People's bodies don't work like that, but capitalism forces us to do that, right? Um so I started to see more and more and more like, and this is actually like a big focus in my birth chart um, for me is to create better, more sustainable day-to-day habits for myself that work for me and that aren't what I was just told and just following these programs. So I wanted to talk about like ways that we can remove capitalistic culture and programming from our daily lives and our daily practice. Um, I'm going to be using obviously like myself as examples and what I've been doing as examples, but also, like, intuitively tapping in for other people. Um, and I saw this video by Sarah E. Phillips on uh, TikTok. And they were sharing, like, the something that happened when they were in group therapy. And so I, I really feel like this is applicable. So they're saying they were sharing the principles of white supremacy culture. And for me, the principles of capitalism are pretty much the same as the principles of white supremacy culture because like colonialism morphed into capitalism, right? And like the main like (laughs) driving force of colonialism is white supremacy. And so um, it makes sense that it was just indoctrinated into capitalism and that's that's how I see it that's my opinion um I feel like a lot of you would probably feel the same but this person Sarah she was expo- she listed off what the nine principles of white supremacy culture are that she learned from the therapist and so I wanted to share those with you and kind of break them down more and um, how I'm seeing them, how I'm feeling, them, and how I feel like they relate to capitalism. So I'll just list off the nine and then we'll like go into them and ways that we can like remove that, be more conscious of removing it from our daily practice, our daily life. So the first one is a sense of urgency. The second one is a right to comfort. The third one is perfectionism. Four is defensiveness. Five is quality over quantity. Six is power hoarding. Seven is worship of the written word. Eight is individualism. And nine is progress, being bigger or more. Um, Off the bat, probably a lot of these you are like, oh my God, I could totally see. <laughs> these are all like capitalist things, right? Some of them I feel like are a little bit um harder to apply to capitalism. But like I said, they're all intertwined. And that's why I feel like it's maybe more ingrained or more nuanced in how it's affecting our lives. Um, So the sense of urgency, that is a huge one for me. That I have had to unlearn in my day to day practice. Like, I feel this sense of urgency because I have run businesses, this sense of urgency to like post on social media, right? Like, that I need to show up on this this platform in order to make money in order to be productive in order to earn money in order to earn a living right like it's this the sense of urgency is like the idea that we don't have enough time that everything has to be done quickly and everything has to be done now right we see it so much in our systems like one day shipping for prime in amazon and then if you're a small business owner people expect you to have the same level uh the sense of urgency right that a huge like Multi-billion-dollar business has like this. These are small ways that I've seen it. Right, like I've been really lucky to not have customers that are like that. But I've seen other people in the in the small business industry. The sense of urgency, you know, even in the spirituality community, there is this idea of like instant, like manifesting instantly, jumping through timelines, instantly quantum leaping and stuff. And it's not saying that you can't do those things. Um, I'm just trying to point out like different ways that this sense of urgency might be seeping into our lives, right? Like intuitively, these things are coming to me. Um, So this sense of urgency, like definitely for me, one way that it seeps in is like waking up and feeling like immediately I have to start working. Otherwise, I'm not being productive and I'm not doing what I should be doing as a business owner. It's like this program of like, I should skip doing a meditation. I should skip working out. I should skip showering. I should skip eating and just get straight to work because... I slept in or I didn't wake up at the time that I wanted to. And it's like this urgency, like this anxiety that we hold in our body. That's like, hurry up and do it. Like, get it done. You need to get this done right away. Otherwise, like, you're not going to get what you want, right? So taking time to like, think about how does the sense of urgency, like maybe journal, this would have been good to do the journaling prompts too, right? Like (laughs) um, Episode. But, like, each one you can sit down and write, like, each principle, like, how do I have this sense of urgency intertwined in my life? What ways do I wake up or what – I'm already, like, thinking about my personal life. But, like, what ways do you feel like this needs to happen now? I can't do anything else until I get this done. I'm not doing this quick enough. Um, And that's why I feel like definitely in our spirituality practice and our healing trauma practice, like, I need to heal this quicker. Why am I not, you know, like – Moving through as quickly as everybody else. Why am I not breaking free from this program? Why am I not already healed with this trauma? Why does it? And I see that a lot with people who work. They make progress. They reach a breakthrough, and then they're reminded that this pro this program is still there. This trauma is still there, and they're like, "I thought I was healed from this. Like, why is this coming up?" And it's like, well, some stuff is gonna be there your whole life. Like, this is you know, caring for yourself. Um giving yourself love and ease and space that's a lifelong practice and the idea that a very traumatic like I'm already crying, just thinking about it like a very traumatic experience can be fully removed from you if it made such a big impact on you if you spent so many years disassociating, ignoring from it, living in the the aftermath of it, the idea that it's gonna be gone is is a capitalistic idea like finding grace and finding spaciousness is a way that we can work through and heal it you know some stuff we can fully release but it's this sense of urgency of like why is it not completely done it it is very capitalistic right it's like why can't i just get rid of this and it's like some some wounds are deep and you know like the I don't fully believe in the time heals all wounds, right? Like, (laughs) I've seen that in my mom. Like, if time healed wounds, she would be completely healed. She just has never done anything to heal her wounds. So she's still unhealed, right? (laughs) I think that that saying is mostly better used for grief of that over time, it becomes easier. I don't think the wound goes away, but I think that it becomes better managed. It becomes easier. You learn how to be there for yourself, how to cope. That's the part that I believe in that. And, you know, time heals all wounds is like a great, um, I guess, antithesis to a sense of urgency, right? We can allow ourselves as much time as we need to. Um, Another popular way that this seeks into my life as a business owner is that I think that I need to do everything right away. And then somebody told me, I heard, it's a famous saying, I think, but I heard it somewhere um, on the internet a while ago. And they said like, you know, you think you need to answer this email. You need to respond to this person. You need to make this post. You need to put out this order. You need to, you know, create this thing. And I really love this. So I'm sharing it with you because I've adopted it that they said like the world is going to keep turning regardless if you answer that email or not, it's still going to be there. There's always going to be work to do, right? There's, oh, it's never going to stop. Like, I remember when I was a kid, when we had homework, it was like, I just wish the homework would be over, but it's like every time there's more homework. So it's like, once you accept that, there's always going to be things to do. There's always going to be stuff going on. It's a never-ending process. That's what living is. And then, you, then you can, at least for me, it helped to remove that sense of urgency. Like, oh, you're right. If I answer this email right now, there's going to be another email. And then I'm going to feel like I'm going to have to answer that one right away. And it's like, it's always going to be there. Like, I need to prioritize my life. And my happiness and my health and my relaxation over like the sense of urgency and especially with capitalism, like that we place on work, that work is the most important thing. and needs to be finished first. Right. And it's about your life, your life and who you are and how you feel is more important. Um, I'm not going to go in order. I feel like I'm going to pick out the ones that are the most prevalent and then like leave the lesser, like more nuanced ones for the end. Um, so the next one that I'm going to cover is perfectionism. As a Mars in Virgo, we already talked about this (laughs) at the beginning of the episode. I am a perfectionist. Um, and I feel like I've reached a pretty good place where I am okay with, like, I'm not super consumed by it. Like I used to be when I was a kid. Oh my God. When I was a kid, we would get projects for like, like school projects, like do a poster board project or something. Right. Right or it would just be like a written project. And and I'm a very artistic person. So I was like, mom, I want to do this really pretty like poster board thing. Like instead of just doing a regular piece of paper for this, I want to turn it into like this really cool, like artistic thing. And my mom was like, sure, let's do it. And I would buy like all these things and I would want it to be like really pretty and I would have my vision in my head. And then I would do it and it wouldn't be exactly how I wanted to. And I would legitimately like Like think of like a fourth grader, like the project could have been done in an hour. It's hour three for me because I wanted to make it into this beautiful thing (laughs) and it's late. And my mom's like, you have to go to bed. Like you're a kid. Um, You can't be staying up all night doing this thing. And I would be having a freaking mental breakdown. I would be crying. It's not the way that I wanted it to be. Like, I was really tired. It was never going to be done. Like, I would freak out. Like, that's how bad my perfectionism was as a kid because I really wanted to bring these ideas. And I, you know, I feel like perfectionism definitely travels with creative people, right? Like, especially if you have like a vision in your head and you struggle to bring that vision into reality and, exact way that you see it. Right. And as business owners, the idea of being perfect, like even in, in our, in our society, like uh, my boyfriend and I were talking about this, like cancel culture, this idea that like, if you're in the public eye, you have to be perfect. Otherwise you make one mistake and you're, you're out. Right. Um, And I, I'm not going to go into like the whole cancel culture thing. I'm, you know, like I have mixed feelings. Like I believe in some parts and I, don't believe in other parts that's that's not what we're discussing but i'm using it as an example to show that like people as humans we make mistakes like we know that we know that that's part of like being human is making mistakes right but then when it comes to like being in business being in the public eye wanting to be a leader then automatically capitalism culture is like well then you need to be perfect if you're not perfect then you're out and i think that that is really the antithesis of the human condition, right? Like, as humans, we're meant, how do we learn and we grow? By making mistakes. Like, I'm a three-fifths manifesting generator. Like, I learn by doing. Like, it is inevitable that I will fail and I will make mistakes. That's the way that I learn. And, like, to, to put on this, like, pressure of, like, no, you can't make a mistake. You need to be perfect the first time. That's ridiculous. Like if everything was perfect the first time, you wouldn't really learn anything. You wouldn't be challenged to grow, to to open your mind, to, you know, like move through things. And I think that we see this perfectionism in new age spirituality very much so with love and light, right? Like if you're not always high vibe, then you're doing it wrong. If you don't raise your vibration high enough, then you can't like get everything that you want. And that's, like, a form of perfectionism that seeps into our practice. Like, what? No, my sadness is is sacred. My anger is sacred. I'm a human. I have a full range of emotions for a reason. And for you to tell me, like, no, don't feel angry toward your abuser. No, don't feel sad when you, like, hurt yourself. Like, you're just being low vibration. Like, that is definitely, like a facet like a lasting effect of how capitalism and white supremacy culture like seep into our lives and obviously like new age spirituality is like very white centered right that's why i'm pointing it out um and like perfectionism like in our business there's tons of coaches out there that they like they show you how to do everything right the first time so you don't make any mistakes so you're not spending all this time but like making mistakes and learning and growing so that you just have the success immediately and i think that I don't know, like, it's boring. It's like, I want to make mistakes. I want to learn. If I get everything right, then, like, I don't know. It doesn't seem fun. It doesn't seem stimulating to me. I have, like, (laughs) a lot of Gemini placements. So I like simulation, intellectual simulation, right? Like, of course, I like to win and I get sad if I don't win. But, like, there's value in the journey. There's value in the making of the mistakes. And I think that coaches, like... Um, Captolia, um, who are like do the messy action just do it like that is needed because we can't all like how am I supposed to know every single thing for being a business owner like they don't teach us that in school right they don't teach you everything you need to know for being an adult they don't teach you everything you need to know for being a human like that's part of the journey of being a human is to learn as you go and so this idea of like perfectionism like, think about ways that it can seep into our life in the micro and the macro, right? Um. Okay, so quantity over quality. That is a huge one. I feel like that one's very self-explanatory, right? Like, we talked about Amazon, like, putting out more versus putting out good stuff. And I think that that is a huge um, principle that has seeped into our life. Like, especially as a business owner, it's like, we want you to make more things over making good things, right? This is the, um, the, what's the word? Oh, no, uh, the paragon of like fast fashion, right? M- we make more at a cheaper price, at a cheaper quality so that you could buy it at a cheaper price. So you don't have to spend money. And like this, I feel like this quantity over quality in spirituality is tied to like worthiness, because it's saying like do more over doing it fulfilling, doing it like when I say the right way, I mean the right way for you, doing it the right way, um, doing it the best way, right? The best quality way, like in worthiness, it's like I need to do more. This this goes into like production, productivity, right? The more you do, the more you're worth, the more you achieve, the the more money you can make, the more th- tasks you complete the more you have earned your relaxation, right? Like we see this with retirement, like save all your money, put away your money until you're 65, 70, excuse me. Then you can spend it on traveling the world when your knees are fucking broken. Why would I do that? <laughs> like My bones hurt. <laughs> Why would I want to be doing fucking hiking and shit, right? So it's like this idea that like do more and... Instead of, like, enjoying, instead of slowing down, instead of having quality, right, quality time, we're forced to work more, make more money, um, like, produce more, do more tasks over, like, slowing down. Doing a few things a day that make us feel fulfilled that are more impactful, right? Like I definitely do this in my business. Like I get caught up in like, oh, I just need to post, like, make more content to post. And it's like, oh, I need to do this. And then and then like the day is done, and I haven't done any of the back end work. I haven't um like done like finance, like I get focused on um like think like pr- like things that are like tied to productivity, so like tangible things, like do a bunch of social media posts, do a bunch of graphics, update your website, this stuff. And then it's like, well, I haven't done any of like the back end work of like making sure my energy is right, making sure I'm removing like trauma and fear around posting, you know, tapping in with my body, feeling healthy. And like all these things are, are relevant if you're a business owner, especially if you're a spiritual business owner, right? So like this idea of quantity over quality, it seeps like very deeply into my life with worthiness where it's like, oh, I can't rest until I've done these 70 tasks um, because like that's what I've learned is the more tasks that you do, then that's how you define your worth. So this one is like a huge one for me. I know I have a generational worthiness wound too um, that I am like learning how to like push through <laughs> um, in this really cool way. But yeah. Um, yeah, the quantity over quality, like we see this a lot. And then like the flip side of that is like when we don't realize that, then we turn into people who value that um, towards others. So it's like worthiness for me, my worthiness wound is like, will flare up around this where it's like, oh my God, $70 for a pair of like handmade pants. Like, oh my God, I can't, Like, it's, like, the the worthiness of, like, I I don't deserve to spend that much of my money, uh, of my money on myself. And also, like, then you, like, look down and you're, like, why are they pricing it so high? It's not worth it. They're not worth it. Their product's not worth it, right? So there's, like, two sides to the coin of, like, now we're valuing faster things, cheaper things, stuff that's, like, not as well made, not made intentionally, right? Like, I'd rather buy, I see a lot of people, I'd rather buy, like, you know, like a bunch of small, like things to make me feel better in the moment than to save money and spend it on a bigger, like deeper healing experience. Or I'd rather buy a bunch of like smaller, cheaper items that aren't as good quality, like buying your white sage at, you know, freaking, um, what is that store called? Um, I keep wanting to say Abercrombie and Fitch, but it's, um, Urban Outfitters. And instead of like buying it from, A place where you know where they grow it they tend to it right like a native person um obviously like we've had the white sage talk many times on this that's just on this podcast that's just an example (laughs) but like this idea of oh like why would i spend 200 on a crystal where the person sourced it and like treated it with care when i can buy like 10 crystals for that price right so um i'm using spirituality examples right like common spirituality examples like really shitty ones but you get the point of like the quantity over quality and how it can seep into our minds and our life um okay I'm gonna take a break and then I just realized I only went over like three of them and there's nine of them so I don't think some of them will take as long like I said I'm picking the juicier ones first um but I'm gonna take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the other six in 30 minutes my lord Okay. I'm here and I'm queer. I always love that saying. I'm here and I'm queer. Get used to it. Um, okay. Uh, number six, power hoarding. This one is a big one, right? Like, I think that um, we've seen this a lot in the coaching industry, in the new age spirituality communities. Um, people like to, I when I first started, I had a coach that would tell me like, Don't give away too much free information because then people aren't going to want to buy from you. And this is like a scarcity like mindset, right? A lack mindset ideal. Like I get it. We don't want to give away everything for free, right? Like we still want to be compensated for our time and for our genius and our magic. But the idea of like where the scarcity comes from of like if I share openly with those around me, if I create a safe space, if I create a community where people can learn and grow, then like people won't value me and they won't want to pay me for my time. Right. Because then when I started working with other coaches, like, um, Caitlin, who we had on the podcast, she would say like, you know, really what it is, is like people, you can give away the information for free, but like that requires people to do a lot of the work on their own. Right. They have to pay attention to all your posts, keep it all together, like put in a lot of work, you know, they're going to want to pay you so that they can work with you for you to put it all together for them to help make it easier for them right so there's different ways to look at how we're power hoarding and how we're coming from a place of lack around this you know we see this with like gatekeeping a lot in the spiritual community um you know people are like no you can't do it that way um, and this actually ties in with number four, which was defensiveness, right? Like, no, that's wrong. Like, you can't, no, I I only know the right way. I'm hoarding all the power and you, you don't get any of the power. Um, the other way, like a huge way that power hoarding comes into our life is like, With the structures that we live under, patriarchal structures, right, like religious structures, like a lot of the structures that we were grown up, um, brought up in, um, they are designed to take away our power from us, right? Like we see like 1% of the world holds like all the money type of stuff or like... um, only the rich people, like most of the rich people are just white cis men, right? So like power hoarding in that way, or it's like you know in religion, um God gets to make all the decisions. you don't get to make any of the decisions. you don't have any of the power. God blesses you and if he sh- decides to share that with you, then you're successful, right like there's different ways that um like even in our school system, like there's a whole like thing about like our school systems, at least in the us were designed by Rockefeller, who literally designed them to help keep people in the working class. So it's like we are taught from children how to listen, how to stand in a line, how to follow directions, how to memorize things, not to think critically, right? Like it wasn't only until like I I don't know when like the gifted magnet program started, but when I was in school like that, those are the only programs where like, oh, you're smart enough to do critical thinking. So we're going to put you in a gifted program. Like that is fucking whack as fuck to me. Like, what do you mean? Like we can't teach the other kids how to think critically because they weren't born with the ability to think critically. Like that is so power hoarding, right? (laughs) So thinking about ways that power was hoarded from us, especially if you're queer, if you're BIPOC, if you're not cisgender, like all of these things, like power is taken away from you. Um, If you even have a uterus, power is taken away from you, right? Like you don't get to decide if you want your tubes tied unless your husband says it's okay. What if I'm not married? What if I don't have a husband? What if like, you know, oh, well, you'll change your mind. That's ways that power is hoarded over us. So that is, one really speaks to the inner child. Like I do a lot of work with the inner child around this, right? Because when power is taken away from us as children and we're not allowed to exhibit our own sense of self and power, we get upset and our inner child acts out. So that's ways that, that when we've had the power hoarded over us and we see like these things that I'm talking about, they happen to like everybody in society, right? Except for like rich white cis men. Um, you know, like if that happens to us, then we start to do that to other people. We get, we get salty, right? We're like, well, screw you. I'm going to hoard power over you as much as I can. That's how we get those, like, you know, the stereotype of like the mall cop or whatever, you know, we see that a lot with cops, right? Like, oh, I'm hoarding power over you by freaking murdering you because power was hoarded over me my entire life. So like, this is ways that we can, really go in and do the shadow work around this to give ourselves our power back, this is a great way that we can return the power back to ourselves by recognizing where our power was taken away from us. Whether it's on the micro level of like an abuser, um, an an ex, like whatever, like small scale stuff versus larger scale of like how society feels because of like my gender, because of my sex, because of my orientation, um, because of my race, right? Or ethnicity, um so that's like a huge one and I like to segue into defensiveness. That one kind of goes like I said kind of hand in hand with power hoarding because like when when we get salty we become defensive, right? Like the defensiveness is like the the antithesis of being open-minded, right? Like I'm going to stick to my beliefs no matter what and I'm going to defend them and I'm not going to be open to the idea that the, both of these things can exist at the same time, that there can be opposing views, that maybe I don't have it right. And that's where we get, like, the very end of the spectrum of this, in especially in white supremacy culture, is, like, racism, right? The defensiveness that your belief is true, and nobody else can freaking tell you otherwise. And so then you start to believe these stupid-ass things about, like racist beliefs and nobody can change your mind and you kind of become like weaponized and brainwashed in that way so like ways that we can remove defensiveness in our daily practice I think are definitely tied to power hoarding so the more we can give ourselves our power back and to like um heal from the ways that our power was taken away from us in our life then we'll feel less defensive around things um, at least that's how it works for me, right? And the more that we feel comfortable with who we are, and have a space and community that supports and loves us, then we'll feel like we need to defend ourselves a lot less. Because, like, I do recognize that if you're BIPOC, you're just going to have to defend yourself for the rest of your life. And that's shitty, obviously, that that's the real reality of where we are in today's society. But I get that we can't just... That's why I said some of these are more nuanced. I get that we can't, like, just be like, no. But the reason why you have to defend yourself is because of white supremacy culture. It's because of capitalism, right? So this one, I feel like, is a little bit more tricky to remove because I don't think this is something that you can fully remove because it's still going to... is exist in the other end of the spectrum. So it's, it's like, one of those, like... um. You can't just meditate away racism, right? Like, you didn't attract it, so it's going to be harder to get rid of it because it exists outside of you, like, regardless of what you're doing, right? So I think we can remove defensiveness from, like, us being defensive towards others maybe, right? Like, by giving ourselves our power back so we're not feeling so salty and quick to judge other people. Um... And this goes with worship of the written word. Like, I'm going to slightly touch on this, like, religion, right? Worship of the written word. This is what it means. Like, religion, government. Like, setting up structures and power that are designed to um, limit us, designed to control us, designed to serve certain communities and not others. Um, And, you know, laws are important for certain things, but when they go unchecked, when they go unoperated, we get things like Trump being president, right? Like, (laughs) that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, You know, religion, it's like, okay, cool. We're going to worship the written word so much that like, you know, women or people with uteruses don't get to have an abortion. Like that's fucking stupid. So, you know, worship of the written word. I think that we see like the bigger picture, right? Like I can't solve you know, religious trauma um, in the world, but you can remove that from, you know, by doing the healing of, like, I think it's important to note where we are just following rules blindly and to allow ourselves to the permission to ask these questions, like, where am I just on autopilot where, you know, like I've talked about this on the podcast before, like writing the shoulds down, right? Like what programs do you feel like, oh, I need to do this. Oh, I should do this. What things are you saying to yourself in that way that maybe you've never questioned, maybe you've never asked yourself, like, do I actually care about this? Do I actually want to do this? Right? Because to me in the more meta sense, worship on the written word is just like accepting things as fact and not doing your own research and not asking yourself if this is something that actually you care about. And you're just like, oh, well, my mom always told me this. Society always told me this. You know, like, my boss always told me this. So it's like, do we actually want to, like, allowing ourselves the permission to think critically? Like, do I actually want to do this? Do I actually care about this? Do I actually want to perpetuate this this law or this cycle or this program? Um, For me, like, I don't really have a lot of religious trauma. And I love that, like, being Jewish one of the big tenets of being Jewish is to question everything. That's why Jews will always a- answer your question with a question, right? That's like a stereotype or like a joke about them. Because one of our like principles is to question things. Like when you are, the reason why you can be bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, and you're considered a man or a woman at the age of 13 is because that's the age when we're um, actually start able to start critically thinking so really what they're saying is like once the child can start critically thinking and asking questions and thinking for themselves then they're old enough to like be a member of the society and part of like judaism's um like 10 i don't know it's not really like a tenant like we know we have the ten commandments but like tenets is like to ask like it literally says like if you don't understand why we do this ask and if it doesn't relate to you and if you don't get like if you don't anything from it then you don't have to do it like in one of our holidays passover like there's actually like a section where like the chill like specifically the children are supposed to ask why do we do this what's the importance of this like we literally like program and train to be to give people permission to ask like why is this important why do i need to do this and i think that that's something that is taken away from a lot of people um the permission and the power right to say like I don't vibe with this. Why do I need to do this? Especially in capitalistic systems. You know, like if you're like, I don't fucking understand why we work nine to five, 40 hours a week. Like people are gonna be like, fine, then you can fucking leave and get your own job. Right? Like, (laughs) so I think that, you know, it's understanding like how it limits us and what ways that we can remove our, like these programs that we're just perpetuating. Like for me, when I started my own business, I immediately was like, cool, now I need to get up at 9 a.m. Like I used to have to go to work at 8.30. And so I was like, cool, 30 minutes later, woo, I'm making a huge change in my life. (laughs) And then I still like held myself to, you know, the same schedule of nine to five. And if I didn't work that long, then I felt like I wasn't going to make any money because I didn't deserve it, right? So these are programs that I never asked myself. Like, obviously, I had said over and over, like, I don't want this kind of schedule. But like I said, I say things and then I don't make the connection, right? (laughs) Um, But I never asked myself, like, why? Why am I doing this? Do I actually need to do this? And the answer was no. Like, I know that I'm putting in good work regardless, right? The quantity over quality. Regardless if I spend one hour or eight hours doing the work, I know that what I'm doing is amazing. And there's a statistic that says, like, people only do two hours of work in an eight hour workday because it's stupid and ridiculous that we have to work eight hours a day. Like, you could, they did like a study where people, you know, clocked in and they only work for two hours. They got the same amount of work done as they did in the eight hour workday because we're just like spreading the time out because we don't want to actually be there for eight hours. So that's like my biggest example of like, I was just going on autopilot. And now that Like I said, this has been being brought up more for me. Like, I'm being asked even more and more, like, why are you just feeling like you need to immediately post on social media at the beginning of the day? Right? You know, like, oh, because of my program of like social media is the only way I can make money, right? Like, that's something that I'm just worshiping and giving, you know, credence to. I like that idea of like, I just got this download of like worship. What am I worshiping? And did I choose to worship this? Or, do I just do it because other people did? I like the term of like worshiping. I feel like it makes it feel more sacred, makes it feel more important and like more of like a relationship, a devotion. And I think that it's easier to remove things if we don't feel that strongly towards them, because sometimes it's like, yeah, I should get rid of this. But, you know, it's not that bad, but it's like I'm worshiping the nine to five work week. And I'm like, like when I say that my body's like, ugh, ugh, ugh. like, you know, like I sound like some dude bro or something. So it's like, I don't know. Ask yourself, what am I worshiping and what do I not want to worship anymore, right? Like, do I want to worship the ideal that I can only make money on social media? No. I want to worship all the different avenues that I can make money, right? So like this this is, yeah. Okay. We're just going to move on to the next one. That was a really good download. (laughs) Okay. So progress being bigger or more. This one kind of ties with quantity over quality, right? So it's like, this is a huge capitalistic thing. Like, companies literally measure their success by their growth. Like, success for large corporations is like, how, how much percentage did I grow in revenue, in clientele, in, um, or shrink in, um, like, production costs and things like that, right? So that your profit grows more, um, this is a huge one. Progress, and we talked about this being comfortable with failure, being comfortable with the process, right? Um, instead of that sense of urgency. This this is very much so tied in, right? Like progress for me, this a big one in the beginning was like the amount of followers equals how successful I am. No, it doesn't. There's people with 30 followers, and all three of those 30 people pay them money and they're able to sustain their business. There's people with 30,000 followers and those people like don't even interact with their posts, right? So there's there's these beliefs that we put like the progress means bigger or more. No, like you can have a beautiful like community of engaged people and you can still progress, right? Like the idea that progress is bigger or more. So one thing that I like to tell my clients is like, redefining terms. I feel like this is a good one that we can redefine. If you feel like progress means being bigger or more is tied to a sense of urgency, is tied to a quantity over quality type of thing, then we can redefine progress for ourselves. Like, what do I want progress to mean for me? Like, maybe progress means I'm trying, I'm putting in effort, and that I know I'm moving forward every single day, right? Maybe progress means... um I have taken a risk. I've put myself out there. I've tried something new. I've challenged myself. You know, like what does progression look like to you? And usually like you can see this based off of like the goals that you're making. So like, you know, the 2022 goals just happened, right? Because of the new year. So it's like, what was your goal? Was your goal to goal to grow in your business? Was your goal to feel more stable, feel more safe? Was your goal to have more freedom? Was your goal to um, buy more things, right? Like, have money to buy material items, right? this is this will show you what you value when it comes to progress. Um, you know, if you think about where do you want to be in ten years, like, people always expect you to have more, 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 right? Some people might be happy with where they are and they just want to maintain that lifestyle, right? Um, So redefining what progress means to you is going to be a great way that you can remove that capitalism programming of like progress is bigger or more. Because like then once you redefine it, every time it comes up, you have that like in your back pocket, like, no, actually I feel it's this instead of this like weird ego fear-based program that's coming through for me, right? like for me that was a big one you know like i looked at my end of year finances for 2021 being like the first year i was fully employed by myself and like i started out the year really hot like 3k months and then it went to like 15 1.5k you know like stuff like that depending upon the month um and i was like oh this is garbage and it's like no like i progressed i i went through an entire year being fully employed d- despite like what my finances were, I still had all my bills paid for like money came in from different ways. Right. And so like, that was something that like, I immediately started judging myself when I felt really bad and all these things. And it's like, but you, I still learned a lot of things. I still gained new clientele. I still expanded and challenged myself. Right. There's other ways that I was successful that I progressed. And I do want to point out that progress and success can kind of be used interchangeably here. So if you're like, "Mm, I don't really feel like progress is this. What's your definition for success, right? Um, And so this definitely ties back, like, if you're thinking, like, how is this capitalist? It's like colonialism, right? Like, the only way that we can progress is by traveling to other spaces and growing our empire, claiming land for our empire, and having more, like, enslaved people or or more people in our empire that believe in our vision so it's like this very colonial idea of like the manifest destiny that it's like in order to progress you have to spread out and overtake everything and that is not the case you know you can have community you can coexist you can not fucking enslave people and steal their land obviously but like you get what I'm saying like this is like maybe a metaphor that will help put it in perspective of, like, how this, they view progression, right? Okay, so the last two that we have is right to comfort and individualism. So individualism is, like, a really huge thing in Western cultures, especially in the United States. Like, individualism is, like, there's certain cultures where it's about family over yourself, right? Or society over yourself. And, you know, that, most, I'm trying to like do a mental count in my head. I'm going to go ahead and say all those cultures, all those cultures are like BIPOC. (laughs) Um, they're not white people, right? Like for the most part. And so like this idea of like the colonialism, like individualism, like, it's like, it's not all of us. It's just me it's about me progressing, about me getting more land, me having more money, me, you know, like it's very like the individual instead of thinking like societally based. And, you know, this is kind of like the, all of these other tenants fall under this, like as an umbrella, right? Individualism individualism is kind of like an umbrella of like, it's about me. me, 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 right? Everything I do is for me to progress, for me to make more money, for me to do it. And a lot of these, sentiments that we just talked about they exist because of the idea of individualism that it's like I'm not thinking about the community I'm not thinking about collaboration I'm not thinking about coexisting. I'm thinking about ways that I can further myself or my family line right and so you know for me it's a little bit hard with this concept because I love being individual like I love having like individual style and standing out but It's less about that, and it's more about like what ways are we being pitted against each other, right? Like, especially in businesses, like, oh, well, I'm seeing this person as my competition because they do the same thing that I do. So like I'm gonna like judge them or think negative thoughts about them. And it's like, or there can be enough money for both of us, enough clients for both of us, right? I think that this individualism especially in business and in the spirituality thing is like very much so tied to like the idea of scarcity and like finite resources and that's definitely something that you know capitalism Instills in us that there's not enough of everything to go around. And so we have to fight for it. We have to be the best one. We have to be the most unique one. We have to be the most cutthroat one, whatever it is, to achieve that. Like, we're all fighting for the same thing when really it's like we can all have a piece of the pie, right? Like, really, we're all fighting against those 1% of people who are hoarding all the money. (laughs) And even in that, it's like there's enough money to go around for everybody. It's about like, thinking about where am I feeling alone? Where am I taught that like, it's only me like hyper individualism, right? I can't rely on community. I can't rely on others. Um, I, I have to compete with other people, right? Like I can't hold space for everybody that can't exist in this world. Right. So those are ways, questions that you can ask yourself um, about, like, individualism and, like, what ways was I taught that it's, like, I I know a lot of people come from um, childhoods that their, like, parents told them, like, the world is against you. You're going to have to fight in this world, right? That's an individualistic idea that, like, it's you against everybody. It's not your community supporting you, your family supporting you, your guides supporting you other people that you choose to support you, right? It's about you versus everybody. And that gives you like this negative outlook, this already jaded outlook about the world that like everything is against you and you have to fight and you can't just exist and thrive. And the universe doesn't want to conspire with you. It's against you, right? Um, So I think that that kind of, like, idea can be shifted, that it's, like, it's not just me. It doesn't need to be always me. It can be community. It can be help. It can be, like, everybody cohabitating and there's enough for everybody. Um, and then the right to comfort. Like, this is very interesting because every time I th- I see this one, I just think, like, well, they, for, like, for white people, the right to comfort, Right um not for anybody who's not like a straight white cis person even man i would go go ahead and say right like i think that for many of us we experience the other side of the coin that we don't have the right to comfort and i think that this kind of goes with like for me it comes with like that sense of entitlement like, white people feel entitled to have everything that they... Like, I just keep seeing those videos that you see on TikTok where the white person's, like, going crazy and they're like, how dare you, like, bring a Mexican into my neighborhood? Like, they feel like they have this right to feel comfortable that if there's, like, a a person that makes them feel uncomfortable, they freak the fuck out and they, like, yell at you for it or they throw stuff at you or they call you racist racist slurs, right? Or, like, if their order is wrong, then they, like, excuse me, you know, like, and they speak out and they're like, I deserve this. Like, you need to fix this for me. And I think that this idea of the right to comfort, it just feels like there's this undertone of, like, for only white people. So I feel like it's two ways where it's, like, realizing where people and society has conditioned us that we don't have the right to comfort existing outside of these structures. And if you are one of these white people, like, recognizing where your comfort, where you're exercising your comfort, and maybe you can be more mindful of that. Um, And, you know, speaking up for other people who don't have that, but I feel like for the people that don't feel like they have this, it's like, where was I taught this? And where can I give myself the power back? Right? So, one way that this happens is like (laughs) my boyfriend like is very nice and so if he gets his order wrong or he's like I should have done this like he just sucks it up and he's like I don't I don't have the right to comfort I don't have the right to get exactly what I want and so he sucks it up he's like I'll just eat this whatever or like it's fine and like me I recognize like I used to be like that too, because of how I grew up, but I also know my white privilege. Right. And so like, I encourage him to speak up for himself, to be like, you have the right to comfort too. Like, you don't have to accept this sub harness, right? Like you don't have to accept this mistake. You don't have to accept like whatever happened. You can ask for what you want and receive that. Right. So, you know, understanding where we're, we're telling ourselves like, we don't deserve this. We're not worthy of this kind of comfort. Um, you know, this is definitely, like, deeply ingrained in, like, money and scarcity stuff that we're all conditioned that we don't have the right to comfort um, in terms of, like, financial stability, financial security. Um, you know, we're not taught how to manage checkbooks. We're not taught how to invest our money like that immediately, right? Now we feel anxious and overwhelmed when it comes to that. Um, the, you know, they know what they're doing in the system, right? Like, <laughs> um, and... There's other ways that it's like, oh, well, I don't, I'm never going to make this amount of money because I'm, you know, not white. Like, oh, I came from a poor neighborhood. So like, that's not there for me. Like, that's a lot of stuff that we're conditioned to think. And uh, I know like, there's obviously like real factors that play into this, but I mean like society, how society treats it. Right. Um, And then, you know, like the flip side of it is like, when you take back your power, recognizing that you have as much right to comfort as white people do. Right. Right. So there are, like, I was telling my boyfriend, like, go ahead and ask for what you want. They'll make it for you. That's part of, like, usually this happens at Starbucks. And, like, working at Starbucks, I know that, like, the second you say something is wrong, they have to, like, (laughs) per their training, like, fix it for you. But, like, understanding that, like, even in those small instances that you deserve the right to comfort. So if you didn't get what you want, like, fix it. Like, I do this, I'll make food, and then I'll sit down, and I'll start eating it, and I'll be like... (sighs) I should have added this seasoning, and it's like whatever. I'll just eat it. It's fine. It's not disgusting, and I'll eat it. And it's like that's ways that I'm showing my body. Like I don't deserve to have exactly what I want and to feel comfortable and like satiated and and supported. So then I'll stop and I'll I'll get up and I'll add the seasoning. And it like for me that's a big deal. That's a big thing for me to do because I grew up in a house where in my comfort was not acknowledged at all like that did not fucking matter to anybody so like i just kind of realized like oh you know over time like for survival like my comfort comes last and so that's definitely like ways that we can start to look at even small scale ways where that comes through um okay so we're at the end we finished everything hopefully this gives you a lot of food for thought about ways that we can start removing capitalism from our day-to-day, from our programming, um, you know, and white supremacy culture. Uh, I talked a lot about business examples, but I feel like those ones are, are sometimes the easiest for people to see because they're, like, more logical or whatever. But, you know, go through again and just journal and even a little bit. Like, one thing can lead to another thing and can make a big difference, even though small things, like, now my food tastes better because I had seasoning. <laughs> um like more seasoning. I don't cook with no seasoning, but, um, yeah. So I think that this was really powerful and I've been wanting to say this. That's why I was speaking so quickly because I'm really excited about this. So, uh, love you all. And until next time, bye. If you love Witchy and Weird podcasts, support us by donating monthly for as little as 99 cents at anchor.fm slash witchyandweird slash support. You can cancel at any time and 100% of the proceeds go directly to the pod. Or, if you don't want to commit to a monthly donation, buy Amanda a coffee at ko-fi.com slash wishyandweird to help fuel them while they record, edit, create, and upload content for the podcast. And if you're feeling extra generous, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tell your witchy and weird friends about us too. Bye!